Welcome to the Antimicrobial Stewardship Project. I am Dr. Marnie Peterson, the Outreach Coordinator for the project, which was created by the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. Today, I'm pleased to be speaking with Dr. Jacqueline Snedden, Project Lead for the Scottish Antimicrobial Prescribing Group and Chair of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society Antimicrobial Expert Advisory Group. We will be discussing today an important manuscript that Dr. Seddon co-authored, which was recently published in the Journal of Antimicrobial Chemotherapy. This manuscript describes their national quality improvement program in Scotland to optimize carbapenem use. So a very important topic that applies to a lot of our listeners. Thank you very much for joining me today, Dr. Snedden. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. So we're just going to dive right into the manuscript, and I thought it would be uh, really important for our listeners to just begin with uh, the background and introduction uh, to the manuscript and perhaps explain why the Scottish Antimicrobial Prescribing Group decided to produce a guidance related to multidrug-resistant gram-negative bacteria and also look at the use of piperacillin, tazobactam, and carbapenem back in 2013. Okay, thanks. So, so Outgroup is a national um, antimicrobial stewardship program and we pro- provide guidance for regional teams um, around current issues. So back in 2013, in Scotland, there was low use of piperacillin, tazobactam and of carbapenems, but we had noticed there was an increasing trend. Um, in terms of resistance, it was stable in all key organisms. Um, but the number of carbapenemase-producing organisms was rising year on year. We could see from um, resistance rates in in some other European countries that um, these organisms had much higher rates um, than in the UK, and we wanted to prevent this sort of scenario happening in Scotland, so we felt we needed to, to produce some guidance to help with that. So further, uh, a follow-on question to that is basically describing the guidance that was developed, your goals, intentions, and how you set about implementing this. And, you know, I I think a description of some of the different interventions you did along the way, which is um, basically described within the manuscript. Okay, so the guidance really aimed to highlight the potential problems of peptazo and carbapenem use was inappropriate and the need to preserve their activity for the future um, for treating resistant or severe infections. It also highlighted some alternative antibiotics that could be used for various infection types instead of piptazo and the carbapenems. So the guidance was produced by the national group and then the local antimicrobial teams in each region were tasked with implementing it at local level, and they did this via incorporating it into their antibiotic policies and by providing um, education for prescribers. So the methodology that we we then used to to study um, whether the guidance had been implemented used a method that we'd used before um, when we were trying to improve the use of gentamicin and vancomycin. So what we did in this case was we 
focused on reviewing um, local policies to see how Piptazo and Meripenem, which is the main carbapenem used in Scotland, to see how these um, were um, being used within policies. And then we carried out a point prevalence survey, and that was to tell us how they were actually being used. So in other words, does the local policy actually reflect local clinical practice? Can you, can you further describe, so you had um, a period of window in which you collected some of this data through the point prevalence survey that you developed. And then after doing so, you developed a couple of different interventions. Can you describe, the, there were two different ones, one followed the other, and then you tracked how that influenced the overall use of the antimicrobials. Yes, yes. So so the first thing we did was a, was a, a national survey where um, we asked all 15 of our regional health boards um, questions about use of meripenem and piptazo. Um, and that was really to look at what, what the, the reasons for using these agents were within local policies. Um, we then went on to carry out a point prevalence survey. And this was done by the local antimicrobial teams um, largely by antimicrobial pharmacists in each of the regions. And this was designed to, to capture data about the use of Piptazo and Meripenem. So we were looking at things like which wards were using these antibiotics, for what indications um, at the time of the, the prevalence survey, how long had they been prescribed for for individual patients, and also some of the, the patient demographics. Um, we also captured some quality measures, which we use um, quite widely in Scotland. And this was around um, documentation of the reasons for use in the medical notes, um, compliance with the, the local policy, which was really one of the key measures for us in this study, and then whether there was a documented review or stop date um, for prescriptions. And this data was collected by the, the pharmacist by, from reviewing the medicine charts and also the patient's um, medical notes. Yeah, I thought you had some very um, important and valuable endpoints that you were assessing through both um, the surveillance and the quality management systems that you, the, the data you had access to. Um, and then another final piece what, that was unique to this study, I felt, was um, these semi-structured interviews that you had with some of the clinicians. Could you describe a little bit of that piece of the of the research process? Okay, so this this is um, um, a mixed method approach, which is becoming very popular um, because it's a good way of informing um, behaviour change interventions. So by involving frontline clinical staff in this type of quality improvement program and capturing their views and behaviours, then it, it lets you understand what's important for them and how the process works, and they come to their decisions about how to prescribe. That was really an interesting piece, and we'll get into some of those findings. So I think, you know, with that background, we're ready to get into some of the key findings and results from the paper. Um, you completed the national survey, as we described, and you had good response in that 15, all 15 of the health boards responded. 
Um, and for the surveillance uh, survey, you received data from 13 of the, of the of the 15. So I wondered if you could just describe some of your your key findings or, or some of the interesting findings. Any surprises? Okay. So the the key finding from the the survey was that we felt the national guidance had been effectively implemented in all of the regions. Um, there appeared to be similar and good control of meropenem use in local policies, but there was variation um, in the local policies and the controls around piptazo use. So piptazo was used for more indications and didn't require um, authorization by a specialist in some regions. Um, from the, the point prevalence survey, the key results were that both antibiotics seemed to be used mainly in patients over 50 years of age and for serious infections, which is um, good because that's really where we, we should be, be using them. Um, the documentation of the reason for using both antibiotics was good. Um, however, documentation of review of IV therapy or the duration of treatment was poor. Um, one of the key measures for us was compliance with local policy, and for this there was high compliance for meropenem, but less so for piptazo. And um, we also noticed that there was um, low use of um, alternative agents, which had been highlighted in our, our national guidance. Um, so these are agents that could be used instead of of a carbapenem, things like um, aspirinam and temicillin, but these were not used to any great extent. Um, some of the the other findings were that um, we looked at how long people had been prescribed the antibiotics for, and in about 50% of, of cases, um, patients had been receiving treatment for 72 hours or more. And in combination with the fact that there was poor documentation of review, that really shows us that processes for review of antibiotic treatment require um, attention. Um, the reason that I say this is that um, in the UK we have standards for review of IV therapy which are described in a publication by Public Health England called Start Smart Then Focus. Um, and this um, standard is that IV antibiotics should be reviewed within 48 to 72 hours of starting um, to decide whether it's still the, the correct treatment, if treatment needs to be changed or if the IV could change to oral. Um, and in Scotland, we also have um, prescribing indicators that are based on these standards. So this is really one of the key areas we identified in the study that we need to do more work on. So we're currently um, working on supporting clinical teams to try and improve practice um, around antibiotic review, and this will reduce potential unnecessary continuation of antibiotics. Yeah, I agree. That was probably one of the um, key, one of the interesting findings that I pulled out as well is that they once placed on the antibiotics, they received them for a fairly significant duration of time, such that there's something that wasn't there to trigger the teams to be reassessing potentially and then switching therapy 
to an alternative agent or or um, even some sort of IV to oral switch. So um, I think that's a key key area. And what kind of uh, tools uh, have you have you landed on specific tools to help provide that sort um, of support? Well, we've currently got um, a piece of work that we're um, doing, um, which is around developing um, a toolkit for clinical teams to support review. So this is going to comprise um, an educational element, but also some um, quality improvement tools. Um, And this has been informed by the study through the results that we found, but also through um, the interviews with the clinicians. So it appeared from the the interviews that clinicians don't seem to have the confidence to de-escalate without um, specialist or consultant advice and that they don't have um, experience and knowledge about using some of the alternatives to carbapenems. Um, so this resource we're currently working on, and we hope to um, complete that later this year. Absolutely. Um, that that I did notice. It seems like that's a very um, ideal uh, opportunity for the antimicrobial management teams locally to have, have quite an impact. So perhaps there's another another outcome study at some point that could be done to assess your, your new interventions. Um, the and Then speaking of the two interventions that you did, so you had the assessment and um, basically characterizing what was happening, um, and then you had a couple interventions, and then you looked at, um, after each of those interventions, how it affected the overall use of these two antimicrobials and you were able to reduce the use. Yes, so this was uh, a, a success that I guess we weren't um, expecting as a result of the study. We thought it would be the, the next stage that we're now working on that would lead to the reductions. So perhaps this was partly a Hawthorne effect, and that's our increased focus on the use of these two antibiotics raised awareness amongst the clinical teams about when they should be used and when they shouldn't. Um, And we did share the study results throughout the programme with um, local antimicrobial teams, and this allowed them to address any local issues through things like antimicrobial ward rounds and take advantage of any education opportunities that they could um, discuss the issues with um, clinical teams. Yeah, and, you know, as you look at the paper, I... I, I see that and, and can't disagree that perhaps you've raised awareness by producing a guidance, um, you know, intervention one, and then some of the quality improvement and the point prevalence surveys um, as far as your intervention two. So you're just raising awareness, and via that, people are, are paying more attention. Um, but talking about next steps, so you've already talked about, um, you know, perhaps focusing on providing support um, and sharing information with the antimicrobial management teams about about being able to work with the clinicians and making these decisions to de-escalate or switch therapy. Are there other um, findings from the study or next steps that you're focusing on as well? Um, well, the, the other thing that we, we have been working on is the role of nursing staff and stewardship. And um, this is an increasing um area of importance. 
um, to try and promote a multi-professional team approach to use of antibiotics. So in Scotland we have developed specific education to support the nurses' role and we do now have stewardship nurses in several of our regions. So nurses are closest to the patient and some early quality improvement work that we've done um, around review of antibiotics has demonstrated the impact of nurse involvement to try and support more timely review of antibiotics and appropriate duration of oral antibiotics. So trying to empower nurses to ask questions around antibiotic treatment and query whether IV antibiotics can be switched to oral. And this can quite easily be tied into their role in um, looking after patients who have IV lines and, and taking care of the IV lines, which um, by and large are are generally being used for antibiotics. The other thing that we are thinking about is the involvement of patients, um, because they may also be um, able to, to prompt changes to, to IV therapy. So by keeping patients more informed about their treatment, um, we can then encourage them to ask about their treatment. So query with the doctor, when can I have my IV line out? When can I take tablets instead of and, and injection, and this may also help with the, the timely review um, of IV therapy. So really uh, a big, an educational campaign, uh, both for the patients themselves as well as the other health providers, seems critical along with your ability to, to capture the data as you yeah. do so. seems very powerful. Have you, um, I just have a follow-on question with, with engaging with the nurses and empowering them. Were they already on the antimicrobial teams? And I'm, I'm wondering, the second part of it is, when you approached them about getting involved and being more empowered, what their um, overall response was? I guess you could speak in generalities. Yes, so, so our, our national group has had nurses involved with it from the start. So initially they were um, infection control nurses. Um, and more recently we've had a a nurse consultant in antimicrobial stewardship who was the first one in Scotland and um, so she's been really one of one of the drivers around this. Um, we did develop an education resource for nurses and that was informed by a survey just to find out um, what nurses knew about stewardship and what they felt their role was. Um, so we then went on to develop the resource and we're currently working on an update of that resource to make it more accessible um, and easier for, for nurses to complete. So there is a lot of interest um, in Scotland and in, indeed throughout the UK about the role of nurses um, and certainly some of the ones that have been involved with our early quality improvement work have been very enthusiastic and have really um, enjoyed the opportunity to make this type of contribution. Absolutely. It's similar and in line with um, for infection control as well and how they've been engaged and, and um, empowered there as well. Uh, I have a quick question. Of if anyone's interested in this information, do you is any of this available to the public? Are these tools available, any of this information, or does it tend to be all within your, your um, governmental system, the NHS? Um, our... Um our group does have a website, which is an open access website, and there are various um, things on there, links to surveillance 
data and some of our guidance and tools are there. Um, if anyone's interested in, in having a look at what we've been doing, then um, they, they can do that. So um, our website um, is www.sapg.scot. And you can, if you look there, you can find out more about what we've been doing. That's terrific. I think that's a perfect ending to our, our conversation, Dr. Smith. And so I just wanted to congratulate you on a, a really nice piece of work, your manuscript in uh, Journal Antimicrobial Chemotherapy with your other co-authors, and really encourage our listeners to review it carefully because there's some very um, interesting approaches uh, to studying the impact of, of guidelines and, and then the local effect of being able to implement those guidelines. So I appreciate your time, and thank you very much for okay, joining thanks. us. Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. Nice to speak with you.